calmest words, the coldest heart, the deepest wounds, the endless dark, the lonely ache, the burning tears, the bitter nights, the wasted years. Life
Good morning, everybody. Thank you for inviting Kathleen and me once again to be with you and to share the Word of God with you. It's a great privilege, and we think very highly of this opportunity. I also want to give you thanks for praying for us. Both Kathleen and I were a bit under the weather. Kathleen with her broken arm in a couple of places, and me with a bulging disc in my back. And so we're just looking to the Lord for continued healing, and we appreciate your prayers. Thank you so very, very much. Before we begin, let's ask God to just bless us and make his presence known among us. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be here together this morning. We're here because you have called us to be here, and we thank you for that. Thank you for all of the good things that you have brought into our lives. Sometimes uh, they've even been hard, but we thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you so very much. Bless this congregation of your people, and uh, may we hear something that will encourage our hearts. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We have just completed the first month of 2013. January, the month that we have just finished, is named after the Roman god Janus. He's the god of the doorkeepers. He opens doors and he shuts doors. So if the doors are shut, blame Janus. <laughs> well, this reminds me somewhat of the Apostle Paul who writes in 1 Corinthians that he remained in Ephesus because a wide door had been opened up for him. Paul also asked the Colossians that they might continue to pray for Paul that God might open to him a door of the word to speak the mysteries of Christ. Open doors and shut doors. And that's what I want to think about somewhat this morning. We've already started our journey in 2013. January has come and gone and none of us here knows for sure what 2013 will bring. The one thing I can say for sure is that uncertainty faces us. In speaking to my son the other day, he spoke of the increasing pessimism among young people. And so they ask, and I ask, and uh, my son asks, what will 2013 be like? Will it be better? Will it get worse? Or will it be about the same? Will Iran finally get the bomb? And that sounds scary. If you're a Christian, we know who to trust. Will there be war or more war in the Middle East? Will terrorism increase? Will there be a financial crisis in our world? The Dow Jones is up, but the unemployment rate has increased. So there's a little mixed message here going on. And as we look down the quarters of 2013, the year hardly open, 
we do see a number of things. A pessimism, uncertainty, unrest, an unsure outlook for peace, etc. The fourth edition of the Psychiatric Dictionary identifies and labels over 200 different fears that are common in our society. And I'd like to just give you a few of the really interesting ones out of the 200 or more. There's uh, teratophobia. That's the fear of giving birth to a monster. There's a phagophobia, the fear of eating. There's a ponophobia, the fear of work. And there's a whole list of these, over 200, well over 200. And uh, when I was going through counseling school, uh, we were introduced to these great terms. Are we all helpless victims of fear? Is fear the one thing that lurks behind the doors of our life? But more importantly, is there a biblical response to fear? Is there a biblical answer to this fear that seems to lurk around every closed door? The great plea that we have in the passage that I want to read in just a moment, chapter 6, verse 11 of Hebrews. There's a call to be diligent. A call to be diligent. And the question is, diligent to what? We are called to be diligent in loving God, and we are diligent to be diligent in helping and loving God's people. And verse 10 puts it like this. Love shown towards God and ministering to the people. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6? And beginning to read at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. The love which you have shown toward his name. In having ministered and in still ministering to the saints, serving God's people, ministering to God's people, to the saints. And we desire that each one of you shall show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish. We're going to focus on that word a little later on so that you not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. He got what God said. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise 
the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have a strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. And this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. May God bless the reading of his word. The great plea there, diligence, be diligent, and remember the promise. A great resolution for 2013 might be resolved that I will be a lover of God and a lover of people throughout 2013. This is the motto and the mission statement of the church that I attend, Sun Valley Bible Chapel. Lovers of God and lovers of people. And as I thought of these things, it occurred to me that God himself has made certain resolutions with regard to us. And he calls those resolutions promises. Whenever you read of a promise, you might uh, insert the word resolution. This is what God is going to do. This is what God said he's going to do, and he's going to do it. Well, I'd like to think a little bit more about the passage from Hebrews chapter 6, which we just read. First, we have an exhortation in verse 12. You still have your Bibles, you might look at that. The exhortation is that we want to avoid a certain problem. And the problem is, in view of what lies ahead, don't get sluggish with being a Christian. I wonder how many of you are surprised that to read that. It makes me ask, you mean that Christians were getting bored in the early church during apostolic times? And the answer is a definite yes. Boredom was a problem in the early church. Well, let's also ask ourselves, why is there an estimated 15 million Christians who don't go to church? Why is that? Are they bored? Are they sluggish? Is it because of the Christian's laziness or apathy? Five translations of this word sluggish put it this way. Bored, apathetic, dragging their feet. And all the translations uh, do it that way. Uh, the message uh, puts it, don't drag your feet. The Living Bible puts it, bored. So we have all of these interesting things. Another word that I want to introduce you to is going back a little bit in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. The word used there is a bad habit of not listening. 
Other translations put it, a slow learner. Sometimes our feelings of boredom is due entirely to the fact that we have lost interest in the Christian message. Sometimes it's because we haven't made much progress in the Christian life. Some are still infantile Christians. Well, if boredom and laziness and apathy is the problem, what is the solution? I think that's always more important than being able to identify the problem. What is the solution? Well, the writer says, imitate those believers who have inherited. You see a Christian who is enjoying life. When you see a Christian who is happy, when you see a Christian that is trusting God, when you see a Christian that's believing in God, you know what to do? Imitate that person. Imitate that person. I want us to look at scripture and find some our own models which have demonstrated these qualities. And the two qualities there that are listed including imitating a living, alive Christian, is faith and patience. Faith and patience. Faith believes that God, what God has said. Patience is the quality that keeps on believing no matter what. Patience sticks with it. Faith believes God's promises. All of them. God has promised eternal life. God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. God has promised to give us his peace. And the best of the best is that we are going to be forever with the Lord. Now faith believes all of that. Faith has an eye on the future. Faith keeps the believer motivated to keep on. If you knew that in December of 2013, that's 11 months from now approximately, that the Lord would say to you, come up with me. Come up with me where I am. I want you to be with me. Suppose the Lord were to say that to you sometime between now and December 31st. Would you change anything in your Christian life? Would you be a more motivated Christian? Would you be a more diligent Christian? Folks, being with Christ is the Christian's goal. And I wanted to read to you from Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, where it says, I press onward to the goal to win the prize of the upward call of God. That's the prize, that's the goal, is the upward call of God. Are you looking forward to that? Are you waiting for it? Do you believe that that will happen? Faith believes that. Imitate someone who has that kind of faith. Well, patience is a little different. Patience sticks with believing. Do you get tired sometimes? 
lazy sometimes, apathetic sometimes, get a little touchy or irritated sometimes. This passage tells us, be patient. Now the word patience in the Greek text is macrothymia. And macrothymia means have a long fuse. A long one. It means the opposite of short-tempered. It means someone who will put up with a lot. It means that I will do all that is humanly possible to keep from getting bored, frustrated, apathetic. The word patient looks at the way we deal with people. Are we patient with them or are we quick-tempered? The word patient also operates in the sphere of expectations. One of the associations that I belonged to for a while was the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. And in their, in one of their catalogs, they listed the several big problems in, in a marriage. Number two in a marriage is unfulfilled expectations. Now, do you have any expectations like these? I expect my children to have clean and neat rooms. I expect my son to mow the lawn every Saturday morning. I expect people to notice me and not to ignore me. I expect my grown-up children to call home at least once a week. And this one happened in my experience. This dear, dear man said, I expect my wife to make gourmet meals at least once a week. We had a very interesting time talking about that. Now, suppose there are some failures in your expectations. Does it push your impatient button? The writer directs us to the specific example of Abraham as one who relied on the promise of God to resolve the problem of boredom or laziness or expectations. God made a promise to Abraham. Would you imagine that Abraham would expect God to fulfill that program? Yes, initially, yes, absolutely. Between God's promise to Abraham and the birth of Isaac, there were 25 long, weary years of waiting. God promised Abraham a son when he was about 75. And so Abraham waited and waited and waited. Year one passed, and no baby boy was born to Sarah, Abraham's wife. Year two passed, and year three, and year 10, and Abraham is 85, and then he's 95, and still no son. Do you wonder 
By this time, if Abraham one day looks at Sarah, his wife, and says, Sarah, dearie, you know, God promised us a son 20 years ago. And uh, we still don't have a son. Don't you think it's time to go to the doctor? Maybe it's me or maybe it's you. But don't you think we ought to have ourselves checked out? And can't you imagine Sarah saying, A.B. dearie, what happened to us no doctor can fix? We're just too old at 95. The text says in verse 15, Abraham waited patiently. Now what happened during those 25 years that Abraham was waiting? What was, what was going on? Was it easy for Abraham to wait? Is it easier for some people to be patient and always harder for you? Is it, is it easy for an elder to be patient, for the pastor to be patient, an older person to be patient? I was going to leave that out. When we look at Abraham's life, we noticed that crisis after crisis occurred during the 25 years that he was waiting. There was a crisis with Hagar, which resulted in the birth of Ishmael, and we're still having trouble with Ishmael today. This was a major problem. Then there was the crisis in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we're edging closer and closer to Sodom and Gomorrah today. That was a major problem. Abraham sent his nephew down there to Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a crisis involving Sarah when Abraham, afraid for his life, lies to Abimelech, and he says, Sarah's my sister, when he knew very well she wasn't his sister. She was his wife. Another major problem. Then there was the crisis of the deterioration of Sarah's body. The scripture says her womb was dead. Now that's an impossible problem. Her womb is dead. For something to happen, there has to be what? A resurrection. There has to be a resurrection in Sarah's life. How easy is it to be patient when crisis after crisis after crisis comes in your life? How easy is it to maintain faith when things don't go very well for you? What enabled Abraham to persist? What enabled Abraham to remain patient? What enabled Abraham to say, well, okay, Lord, I've had enough. Did Abraham have a secret? Did Abraham know something that enabled him to continue patiently? Well, yes, Abraham had a secret. 
and it's available to every believer. Do you want to know what it is? Notice verse 17, where we read before. Here's the secret. God is so serious about his promises, about his resolutions, about his word that he had given, that he confirmed his word with an oath. He's got his promise here, and now he comes and adds his oath to it. God adding his oath to it. Can you imagine that? That the great God adds his oath to his promise to Abraham. God's promises are based upon who he is. His ethical character. God is truth. God is moral. God is righteous. God does not lie. The second thing I want you to notice is this second part of verse 18. God says, if you have fled to God for the hope he if you have fled to God for the hope he offers, be greatly encouraged. Why be encouraged? Because God is going to do what he says. I want to recap here now. And I want you to think now of some New Year's resolutions. Did you know that God has made a resolution that involves every believer? And here's that resolution that he has made, per my paraphrase of verse 18. Resolved that God has made a promise to every person who has gone to him who has gone to him for salvation. God says, I promise to take them with me forever. I swear to it by all that I am. What is the effect of this kind of promise that God makes to us? Verse 19. Our text says that it's like an anchor to our souls. What is an anchor for? The anchor is given to us in order that we might not drift. I'm an old sailor in the U.S. Navy. And on one occasion, we encountered a great typhoon coming out of Okinawa. And we lost our rudder. But if we had lost our anchor we would have been in greater trouble than we were. The convoy that we were in abandoned us and, and we were left to drift along and drift we did for miles and miles. Thankfully, we did have an anchor and we were able to get the anchor down, slow the ship down in its drift and uh, we were able to uh, anchor near one of these little uh, atolls. They're just small little things, uh, smaller than this room here. And we were able to hook onto the ground and we were saved. It's like an anchor to the soul, the, the God's promise. 
It's given to us in order that we might be encouraged. You've got an anchor, folks. It'll hold you. It will hold you fast. It will keep all of us fast. The anchor that uh, held us fast, fortunately, uh, was not the kind of anchor that God gives. God gives us a better anchor than what we had. It's given in order that we might be diligent in our love for God and love for neighbor. It tells me again, that anchor, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. You're going to make it. Another effect is that it gives us the hope of being eternally connected with God himself. That is what the text means when it says our hope goes inside the inner sanctuary. The inner sanctuary in the Old Testament referred to the Holy of Holies, and the Holy of Holies was the place where the presence of God was. This is where our hope is anchored, in the very presence of God himself. And that's why it's so sure. Anyone here discouraged? Anyone here losing their patience at times? Anyone here feel like your dreams and hopes of a good life are not being fulfilled? Anyone here feel things are moving too slowly and you wish God would get going? You want to give God a little help, you give him a little push. We sometimes feel that way. Hope not too many are. Well, I want to remind you in closing, be encouraged in the promises or the resolutions of God. He's going to keep them. He's got a good track record. Be diligent in loving God and loving others. Keep your eye on the goal of being forever with the Lord. That's the goal, is being with him forever. Abraham reminds us, teaches us to be patient, even when the going gets rough, even during crisis times. God's promises to us are based upon the moral character of God himself. They are absolutely sure. And our hope is anchored in the very presence of God. God has his eye on our hope. As a matter of fact, he is our hope. What is 2013 going to bring? I don't know entirely. I know some things. What I do know is that God's promises are certain. They're going to happen. I'd like to encourage each of you to pray for the body of believers that meets in this place here. Pray for one another. Thank you for praying for Kathleen and me. You're a praying church. Keep on praying. Keep on praying and keep looking for those promises of God to be fulfilled. In essence, prayer is the secret life. And I wish it weren't too secret. May the Lord bless all of us this year, helping us to believe, 
to be patient. May the Lord bring back the, the fizz into the Christian life. Sometimes it seems like we've lost the fizz. But let's keep that fizz bubbling up. Until he comes, let us be faithful and obedient servants. His reward is with him. Now, I've been speaking primarily to believers, to Christians. And I'd just like to say a short word for some who may not be a believer. For some who may have not yet put their trust in Christ. For those who do not know the certainty, the surety, that God is going to do what he said. And God has promised us eternal life if we put our trust in him and believe in him. And so I invite you this morning, put your trust in the one who cannot lie. Put your trust in the one who does what he says. And sometimes it seems even more. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and may you respond to this simple invitation to put your trust in Christ. Pray with me now. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we thank you for your presence with us even now. You said that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. And Lord, we're grateful for that. May we understand your presence. May we be aware of your presence. Thank you, Father, for, for that. Dismiss us with your blessing. And uh, we give you thanks that you have been so kind to us. And thank you for being our Father. And we, our children, we in your family. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.